This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. There's something special about being here because I go back with the Rosh Hashiva. Um, I don't want to say how many years I go back, but I grew up in Lower East Side. Um, the woman sitting downstairs, her, her husband's granddaughter of the person who was the, a legendary Rav Miyastaka Shul. Um, the Marcus family was a very well-known family in Lower East Side. Um, many, many connections. And it's, it takes me back to a Tkufa that, in a sense, is gone. It was a very, very special tkufa. Um, it was Judaism was in flux. It's something that I don't think people today understand. How um, you had a lot of good people wanted right, had some connection to Yeshiva because their parents knew, and um, and those who went on to Yeshiva to learn produced a magnificent generation of Bnei Torah. Um, RJJ, the school I went to, was the big school. There was a tkufa when 50% of Talmidim in Lakewood were, um, were from RJJ. Yeshiva University had an innumerable amount of Talmidim from RJJ. I still remember Rabbi Willig when he was in RJJ. Those were, Baruch Hashem, the successes. The, um, the, unfortunately, anyone who didn't have a cash with Yeshiva, um, the Yiddishkeit, if it wasn't vibrant, you, you can't keep lukewarm Yiddishkeit going for generations. So in Europe, where you are very insulated in a shtetl, you had no choices, maybe you could do it, and maybe the Yiddishkeit was very intense without a yeshiva. 
the the the, the um, takeaway from my generation is anyone who went on to yeshiva for a number of years um, was and there weren't many yeshivas. Yeshiva University existed, Lakewood existed, and all the other yeshivas just beginning to get off the ground. Those people who went on to yeshivas became vibrant Torah Balabatim. Those people who did not have a very strong yeshiva experience um, just left. And I, I wanted, it's something we should learn from history. And Baruch Hashem today, HaKadosh Baruch opened up Eretz Yisrael for us, gave us the idea of coming and spending a few years in Eretz Yisrael to get what we need. And I think that this is something you should appreciate. Just, uh, you know, from tens of thousands of people that I knew, those who went on to yeshiva, Baruch Hashem stayed strong, and everyone else sort of never um, fell off on the wayside. I'll start with, I want to say something short on the, on the parish, I think something relevant, and then we'll, we'll discuss, we'll, 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 I'll, I have a sheet, I was given a sheet with some points that I don't want to discuss, and we'll discuss. The Chinuch is a safer, and this is also one of these points I always am astounded by. Problems don't change. The Chinuch lived a few hundred years ago, we're not sure exactly who wrote it, but it's the Tkufas of Rishonim, so it's 1200s, 1300s, that's the Tkufa that was written. And he wrote a sefer called Sefer Chinuch. The reason why it's called Sefer Chinuch is because he had a teenage boy who didn't have much to do Shabbos afternoons. He didn't like it. And he wrote him a sefer on Chumash to learn. That's what it's about. And he addresses his son constantly. So in a very early mitzvah, in mitzvah Tezayin, his son asks him, um, he, he, he's responding. So I don't know if the son asked, but he's responding. He says, this mitzvah of not breaking a bone also reminds us about this mitzvah, etc., etc. So he says, and if you're going to ask me, why do I need so many mitzvahs to do about this mitzvah? Just get up once a year, give a clap on the table and say, today we're commemorating this mitzvah day, and, and we went out of mitzvah. Why need so many mitzvahs? So his father answers him, like all fathers do to teenage children, that was not a very smart question. Even that answer is, is, is an age-old answer. That's not a new answer. And he says, a person is affected deeply by what he does. And therefore, a person becomes the sum total of his activities. Even though technically we think about what we do, the truth is it has a reverse effect. And therefore, he says, the more we're involved in the mitzvahs, the more we change and become attached. And the less we are, the less we're attached. And then he adds a piece of mutzah. He says, and don't tell me if you hang out with empty people all day long doing nothing, it's not going to affect you. It will affect you. It's going to slowly dilute your person and, and empty you out. So I'm always astounded by the timeless nature of human nature. It's, you know, human nature didn't change much. Maybe the, the toys and the games, but the, the etzim nature. But okay, so, so the Chinuch puts down this point that doing mitzvahs, lemaisa, actually doing it has an effect on a person. I'd like to try and give some sort of explanation to what that's about. Um, there's a, the, 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 what I'm going to say now is a Sefer Ikrim. It's from that Sefer actually with, with Rishonim on Chomish. Sefer Ikrim was written in the late 1400s in Spain by Rabbi Yosef Albo. 
He was a Talmud of a great philosopher. He was a philosopher himself. Sefer is a very fine Sefer. It deals with Ikre Emunah. He discusses them, each chapter, another point, discusses problems, questions, issues, and so on. It's, it's a classic Sefer. He asked the following question. Moshe Rabbeinu is standing on top of the mountain talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, Lech reid kishiches amcha. Um, and so on. Hashbaruch tells him, listen, you don't know what's happening downstairs. Kalal Yisrael has, has, has gone off the derech. They're worshipping the eagle. So it says he came down, to, down from the mountain. Vayar es ha-eagle u-macholos. Vayichar af Moshe. Vayishach miyodav saluchus ha-eshavos ha-sahar. He saw what was happening. He got very upset. And he, um, and he threw it down and, and broke it. So the Ikrim asks, you know, sometimes... Um, you hear testimony from people, you, you're not sure 100%, and you know, seeing is believing. So when you actually see it, so someone comes and tells me there's a, a, something going on in this, in this street, I think 95% is probably right, but you know, maybe he's pulling my leg, maybe this, I walk down, I see it myself, and I believe it. Akadosh Baruch Hu told him, they are down there worshipping Avodah Zarah. If the halacha is that Kalal Yisrael worshipping Avodah Zarah, obligates him to break the luchos, break it. I mean, you, you don't believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What was added by seeing himself? So the Ikrim puts down an extraordinary fundamental gesod in, in terms of, um, of, of a person. He says, there was no halacha that you have to break the luchos but if the person himself becomes emotionally caught up with it, just like a parallel, I'm offering this parallel, but I think it's, it says by a goal hadam, kiecham levavo, it's a product of a person becoming emotionally incensed about it. Then it's, it's like kriya for a nifta. It's, it's something that has to be bishas chamimas alev, it has to be something that is a result of an emotion. So even if HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him and he believes the information 100%, but there's no emotional response until you don't see it. And if you read the Pusik, he says, He's got close. He saw what was going on. That's when he became enraged. So the Ikram says, emotional response is the result of a personal experience. Information can be believed, but information itself does not give a person any, it does not evoke emotion on its own. That, I think, is an extremely, extremely important yesod in, in Yadus. If, if we discount information, we obviously are not going to follow through. That's obvious. But when a person has information, as information, if it comes into our mind, as a data stream, and it stays that way, its effect on emotion is minimal. Let's take a simple example. If somebody comes along and tells you there was a terrible accident in this, this place, you say, oi, never, and you go on. If somebody describes it to you, if somebody, if somebody um, watches it on, on footage, on video, whatever it is, it has a profound impression. Why? 
it's not that I now believe it, it's just that information that's processed purely as information by the mind has no or very, very little emotional impact. Once, the, the, once you start processing images, then you are, uh, then it, it, that affects emotion. So information goes to the brain, v visual input, sensual input goes into the heart. So what do we do with all the mitzvahs? Today's, the big complaint of today's generation is we're not turned on, we're not connected. What's the pshat? The answer is because we've lost the ability or we're too lazy to process information into pictures. Um, because we're assaulted by so much media, we lost the ability to take a book and to imagine. We don't have that ability. We need to see it live. We need to see the movie. I'm dating myself because there's probably no such thing anymore. It's probably something else today. But the problem is we, we don't, the ability to take information and transform it into some sort of visible, um, palpable, tangible type of experience is lost on us. The, um, the Sfarnu says, Haskes Ushma Yisrael. So it's, the word Haskes is very hard um, to translate. It has different translations, no, no clear translations. The Sfarnu says the word Haskes comes like Sochoi, to see. Um, I don't want to use the comparison, but today's Masach television, a, a television screen, it, it, Yisko to Sochov Rokodesh, it has a meaning to see. He says, the mitzvah of Haske Sushmai says, is to take Torah and to turn it into a visual experience. I'll finish with a story. Reb Chatzka Levenstein had, he was the big Balmusa. He was the leftover great Balmusa from Europe. He was the Mashkir Hapanovich, Tulis Ptira in the early 70s. And he was the great Musa figure in Artisrol, Tulis Ptira. He was a very sharp person, very tremendous over Hashem. Uh, I was able to see him once personally. Um, he was thin, bent over with very sharp eyes, very demanding, very demanding of himself, first and foremost, and demanding of others. And he had a chabura of young mashkichim in, in training, I guess. Well, I, I don't know what, 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 what else I would call it. And Thursday mornings or afternoon, Revolva was inaccessible, Rev, Rev, Rev Levenstein was inaccessible, he was in his room doing his own thing. And they were dead curious to know what was he doing. So they realized that there was sort of a ceiling, a hole on the top where somebody could crawl and observe unnoticed on what was going on in the room. They picked Revolva as the most agile of the group and uh, he came from a non from background, so he had, he had done sport and, uh, hey, when he was young, and he could do it. So he shinned up and stood there and, and watched Abchatzkel, uh, what he was doing. So Abchatzkel was being Mavasedra, and it was the Pashas Beshalach. And Abchatzkel begins to act it out. He begins to say, Moshe, where are you going to? Where's the responsibility? You have a nation, 100,000 people behind you, men, children, and you walk into the ocean, you're committing suicide, what are you doing? And he went through the whole parasha, reenacting it to himself, and living through it. 
It's, it's something that I think is the, the core problem. Understanding first and foremost that what will affect us in the way that we want to connect is not information, experience. Doing mitzvahs. Um, I, once, I once heard a criticism, there's a younger man in the mirror, an older me, a chashva person, he had a chassidish leanings, he was a gar a little bit, but I mean, he was of literature background, but, and he made a comment, he said these, um, he said, you know, th- these ready-made m- um, candles for the menorah, these ready-made, you know, oil things. He said, the point of Hanukkah is to soak your hands in oil and to get the cotton threads into your fingernails. That's the point of it. So, so they get around it. It was a very cute saying, but it was emis. If we don't, if we don't understand that it's, mitzvahs are not about getting around it, but living through it. Of course, Baruch we have money today, we can pay for the matzahs, we can pay for the dalgmin, and we can, we, can, we can pay for everything and anything and get it ready-made, and we're yoytza technically. But if a person experiences it, it's different. If we, we, I think, just like a person who sits long, his muscles begin to atrophy, we who are used to being fed scenery, the ability to use imagination, to visualize and, and bring ourselves into a state of experience, tends to become atrophied. If we want to get connected, if we want to feel an experience, then you need to use your imagination. You take a peric in Tanakh, a a story and live through it and and if you're able to do that then I think you will discover Judaism will go from being one-dimensional black and white to three-dimensional color that's the difference so Be'ez Hashem something like a takeaway from the parasha that even Moshe Rabbeinu as long as something was information it didn't evoke the Vayichar Af Moshe when he lived it and saw it and felt it, that's when he was able to, 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 to have that experience. Okay, let's have a look at, um, the, I, I want to tell you, last year I, went, I came away extremely, extremely moved from the Tzibur and the type of questions. And, and you know, it, it says a lot, the questions that people have, the search that people have, says a lot about the people. And I was very, very, uh, it made a profound impression on me, the thing that people were talking about, grappling with, and so on. So, okay, I'm going to read it. Things are written fairly well. A Jew who knows the truth feels like he has a mission. When he's not fulfilling it, he might feel empty and depressed. No meaning or purpose. What is a guy supposed to do with no Torah to fill his life? How different are Jews and Goyim at heart? I guess that's what it is. There's an H missing or something. Um, so, so let's talk about th- this point. And, and the morale speaks about this. Uh, he speaks about it in his, uh, using a point of his, but I want to use that point. The morale speaks in the Pharisee's Israel. He speaks about that there must be mitzvahs in the world. There mu- you know, that's how he comes about the idea of Torah Hashemayim. Basically, we think our sense of mitzvahs is as follows. We're people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu pointed a finger at us and said, Hevra, I'd like you to do these mitzvahs. 
And you'll get brownie points for it, and there's a lot of good things coming for those points. That's not it. Mitzvahs start with a need in the person. Let's give a marshal. Imagine if a man was created and then would introduce us to a woman and say, here's this young woman, I'd like you to meet her and I would like you to live for the rest of life with her, undertake her financial support, emotional support, and under normal circumstances never separate. Wouldn't work. It's only because he made Adam a chaser. He carved, Adam himself walks around saying, I'm alone. I'm not living a full life. I'm just not shalling. Then, when you match the Isha to him, and she fulfills a, a part of herself that hasn't been realized, that sticks together. A mosh I always use is when you take a piece of wood and glue it another piece of wood, it sticks somewhat. If you push hard enough, if, if the shear is boring enough, you have nothing to do, you keep pushing, it'll come off. Uh, in school, we've taken many things apart just out of pushing it long and hard enough. Now, that, that's how it works. But in a better furniture, you have a hole carved out one side and a piece sticking out the other side. Then when you stick it and, and glue it, it stays. Because there's, the chibur is where one is missing something, quote-unquote, it holds on to the other one. That's the concept of it. So if man would not have an in, in, innate lack without a woman, you couldn't make the bond that marriage is. Because a person is a chaser, that's where it happens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us with an neshama. An neshama has certain needs. Let's give a, 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 for instance, let's say somebody's born with a, a talent for music. <coughs> if he's not, if he doesn't have a way to express it, he's going to be restless until he picks up a, a guitar or a piano, he sits down by a piano, and then he feels a piece of himself come into it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us with a neshama. And that neshama has needs. And as long as we don't fulfill it, we're restless. A Jewish neshama has one set of needs. A Goyesh neshama has a simpler set of needs. The needs of a Goyesh neshama is fulfilled with Zayim Mitzvah That's what he's missing, and having those he feels fulfilled. He feels he's leading a good and ethical and moral life, and he is. A Yid was created missing Tayag Mitzvahs. And as long as that's not in place, the person is restless. He doesn't feel fulfilled. And that's the difference, that's the difference between Tayag and, and, and Zayim Mitzvahs. And that's the difference. A Yiddish Neshama is lacking more. It's like somebody who has a talent for art. I don't have a talent for art. I don't need it. it doesn't, doesn't, it's not going, I, don't, I'm, I don't feel bad if I'm not sitting and drawing, and that's that. Someone who has that talent Will, 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 you, it's, it's one of those kids that is restless who picks up crayons and then begins to make things and then he feels good about it because he has the need and that's how he's fulfilled a yid has a need for tayag mitzvahs and he's fulfilled when he has it any questions about this point? any comments? Any, uh... okay, we'll go out to the second one we look, we look down So I don't think so. the Sfarno says that with Skula Mikola Amin, the Sfarno says every human being is beloved. We are 
charged with more. In other words, the tachlis of the Bria is to make the world a good place. It's just like people who have, it's just like when you make a, an appeal and you ask for people to donate money, a very wealthy man, you might push it for a million dollar donation, and a poor man, a thousand dollar donation, and, and if you, if, so if you're raising the money, I know how you treat the million guy and the thousand dollar. I, I know that part. I don't raise any money, but I do understand that part. But if you're an outsider and you say, it was hard for him to get a million dollars, it was very hard for him to get a thousand dollars. And I think both of these people, in terms of their nature, have expressed um, a tremendous uh, you know, accomplishment. He's pushed himself a million, he's pushed himself. In the pushing, there hasn't been a difference. So I have my, my brother-in-law was once sitting with a very wealthy Swiss jeweler, actually. He, he had a son who was, I was in Shiva or somewhere. So, so one of my brothers was sitting with him a few days before Pesach. And my brother made some comment to him about being wealthy or being a jeweler. I don't remember what the comment was. And he said something very interesting. He said, he told my brother, let me ask you something. It's before Yontif, and you want to buy your wife a piece of jewelry. It's a $500 piece of jewelry, and you're racking your brains on how am I going to find $500 to buy this jewelry. He said, it's Erev Yantif. I'm sitting, and my wife is expecting a $50,000 piece of jewelry. And I'm racking my brain how to, how to have an exit. We're both racking our brains. It's not, he said, the amount is irrelevant to the person. So we were given this charge, and we have to live up to who we are. The tachlis is l'sakein oylem b'malchus shakai that when everything clicks into place, everybody's going to be accomplished and happy. I think it's, it should be more focused on what's expected of us rather than feeling inferior to others. Let, let me give you another, and you have a yeshiva setting, and you have somebody who's very bright and somebody who struggles. So the coarse and shallow way of looking at it is, I'm so much smarter than this idiot. The right way to look at it is, I need to push myself a lot harder than this person because if I have the ability to learn Tevlat Gemara, that's my, that's my Achrayas. Why Akash gave him the brains to learn one Amit and me ten, I don't know. But he's accomplished with learning one Amit and I need to learn at least Tevlat to accomplish. So I think that should be the attitude. In the Orchus Yoyesher, Chaim quotes Meseches Shabbos 32b that says, Bittl Torah can lead to one's children dying. He says many other things regarding this issue. I'm not sure if the issue is Bittal Torah, children dying. How are we supposed to take that? How does Bittal Torah, what does Bittal Torah mean today? Okay. Um, so, one of the, one of the problems, I, I mean, I guess it's one of the minor problems of quoting Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky is, Chaim Kanievsky is a man of few words, which is a rarity today, admit it. And he answers usually yes, no, or could be. And, and it's a problem, because when you hear yes, no, could be, uh, or sometimes he actually has a sense of humor, believe it or not, and therefore people take it as serious, and, and it's you know, sometimes taken to absurd lengths. Let's speak in general about these chazals that say these different things. Um, we have chazals that tell you about what causes this, what causes that, on and on and on, different chazals. The chazanish used to be very annoyed when people would take a chazal and build a drasha on it. He would say it's a sugya and you need to bring all the chazal in. What it means is as follows. You're learning medicine. What causes certain diseases? There's a genetic predisposition. 
There's a compromised immune system. There's a very tough bug. There is unsanitary conditions, and on and on and on. This, it's, it, is, it is good to learn the particular, um, all of these things that lead to this disease. But when a doctor looks at a patient, he can't just pluck out and say, oh, you must have been very unsanitary. There were other things involved. Maybe this person is debilitated because of an illness, and that's why his immune system is not working. Maybe this person it has a genetic predisposition. It, 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 it's, it, the fact that the input is true doesn't mean you can go backwards and figure it out. One of, in, 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 in computer, in cybersecurity, one of the keys of cybersecurity works as follows. To multiply numbers is extremely easy, no matter how big the numbers are. To factor a number, one becomes complex enough, becomes mind-numbingly difficult. And you, you, know, you have the two keys, you multiply them, and then you're able to, um, and, and then you're able to scramble the stuff. That, that's, really, that, that's really how we send stuff most of the time, and, encrypting it. And, and that's a, a very powerful tool. So taking roots and building something out of it works well. When you look at what you built and try to decipher what happened, that could be impossible. To look at an event and say to yourself, this caused it, that caused it, the other thing caused it, that, unless you're a Navi from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, and you come along and say, Koyama Hashem, that's not, that's not the Chinuch I had. Um, but it's important if the Chazal say that it's caused children to learn, there's two reasons why it's important. It tells you how significant Bittal Torah is, and one more Indian, the morale on all of these Agaritas, his point is, what's the connection? By understanding what Chazal said, why the children die? Why, what's the connection of the two? So it's something that helps us, it helps us understand the Cheshivas of it. It helps us, if you understand it right, like the morale, you're able to, to, to learn from it the, 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 you know, some significant Nekuda Batamatayra. As far as what Bittal Torah is, I th every person needs to ask himself, um, what time in my day goes to waste? What time could I use to learn? Some people have, do have a ceiling of how much they could learn. Everyone has a ceiling, it's just a question of what. But I think an honest cheshman nefesh, let me try to ratchet it up a little bit. I'm learning now six hours a day. How about if another small seder of a quarter of an hour or something else? Could I do that? Could I make myself a program with this or that? As long as a person's trying and moving forward, then, then that's, that's what we can do. do we, yes, Rabbi Chaim Kornevsky is somebody that literally learns 24-7. I don't think we have that, maybe, I mean, like there's a big oil here, maybe somebody does have that aptitude. But, but, but um, I, you know, he's probably based medicine now learning, not wasting his time with, my, with the questions and answers. But, but Tachlis, uh, what? This cover is very... Okay, <laughs> we have a psak. We have a psak from Shiva that's okay. But Al Kapanim, it's something. I, I, I want to explain something. When you go overboard in terms of saying how terrible something is, how wonderful something is, a lot of times it's counterproductive. Let, let's give you. Uh, let's give a marshal. If I want to tell somebody how important Mishraba, and I say if you only answer Mishraba, you go straight again. Imagine somebody would say that. If I take it seriously. So it'll, it'll, it'll push me to answer Mishra Rabbah. I'll slip, forget about it. And then I'll say to myself, you know what? 
If I go into Gehenim anyway, might as well enjoy these few years and live it up. I mean, what's the difference? One Gehenim or ten Gehenims? It's, it's you know, ner le, ner, I hate to say it, ner lech, ner like if you're burning once, you might as well burn a hundred times and enjoy life. It doesn't, you know, when, when you push things to, it, yes, there's a certain exuberance and, and you push yourself, but Seichel needs to say it is so much better when it's done in a mature and controlled way because you might actually get somewhere. Whereas if you do something in a, in a sort of childish way, it's, it's, it's a nice expression of exuberance, but then it, it, it fades out. Three, why can't woman be... I think it says Yidin, but I don't think that's Edim. what it means. What? Edim. Edim. They really, there are really, they're really smart women. <laughs> there are many. Well, it should say they are. There are many smart women. I guess a man must have written this. Not such a smart and <laughs> and stupid men. Yeah, he's does bump in. <laughs> so l- let's talk about this in general. It's not only Adam. The Torah does say women cannot be judges. Um, you know, th- there are. A dozen, two dozen women who were like Esther Malka and uh, you know and uh, Devora, and you know they have been great women, but generally speaking, the Torah does not ascribe a public role of leadership. Srara. So, first we'll take it as Xerus Akasif. One, two. I, I, the word smart here is very tricky, and I want to try to explain it. Again, this is the way I understand that. I don't have clear chorus fit, but I'm trying to understand it. Engineering takes brains. There are smart men and not smart men. Some do engineering ACIT and some can't add up to numbers. There are smart women who do engineering extremely well and women that can't add up. In that type of smart, I'm not aware that the Torah makes any distinction. Rather, um, the only areas, Srara, Adas, etc. And I'd like to try to get a, a feel for it. When, when you pass in a halacha, it's not a question of being smart and stupid. Yes, if you're stupid, um, you, you, you obviously can't get the facts straight and you can't, you don't know the information. But for a person who's smart, he uses a koach called um, koach hahachra, a judgment, what we call a judgment call. You know, when a person's a leader and he says, I need to do this or that, there's a certain koach of being machria. And it's really based on your temperament. You have leaders who prefer the individual's rights. You have leaders who prefer the good of the cloud at the expense of the individual. Is there a right and wrong? At the extremes, you can, you can say, this is terrible, this is terrible. But in the middle, there's a kohach I, I want to g- tell you a, a story. And, and to me, it was like we spoke in the beginning about personal experience. To me, this was the exact point of personal experience of this phenomenon. I was sitting with my wife, I won't say we had an argument, we had a discussion. And the discussion was as follows. Somebody had been employed by a firm. Some of you both knew, we knew well, we knew the story. They had made him an offer, a very reasonable offer. He thought it through and accepted it. They were meticulous in keeping their word and paying everything they said. The wage they were paying him was fair, maybe a little bit, a little bit better than fair. And a few months after he started working for this company, um, he realized that he'd miscalculated and needs more money to live on. And he came back to the firm and said, I'd like to have more money. I want to renegotiate. They said, no. 
so my take on it was they're right. They had negotiated it. They had, they had, it was a fear. It wasn't as if they took advantage of him. This was, and my wife said, it's not fair. He's not able to make ends meet, and they should give him more money. And we have this discussion, not getting very far. There was a third person sitting there, my wife's second cousin. She is actually married to Chashra Shiva, and she taught calculus in college. She's a brilliant woman. She's a very special person. And she was taking my wife's side. And, and it was incredible. And I said to her, um, I don't get you. You teach logic in university, and what you're saying is so illogical. And she told me, you sound like my husband. <laughs> and she said, let me tell you what I answer him. Logic is a course in university. It has nothing to do with real life. And it's, it's stand mind. She was a much smarter woman than me. She could run rings around me doing logic problems. But her logic problems was a game, like a chess game in university. Logic's a course, and she can do it. She's very, very good at it. But real life should be run with a different medium. Logic is not the right tool to run life with. And then it dawned on me. It's this, and, and the truth is, it's not inferior and superior. You need midas hadin and midas harachamim functioning together. A healthy child grows up in a home with the following contradictory messages. He's told that if he doesn't do X, Y, or Z, he's not going to go on the trip, or he's not going to get whatever it is. He doesn't follow through, and his father says, you know, we agreed on this, there are consequences, and you can't go on the trip, do X, Y, Z. And the mother says, please give him another chance. He really wants good, he really means well. Those are two meters that a person needs, both of them, to live a good life. You need to be able to understand there's a reality, a moral reality with consequences. And there's a sure Sarachman Lifnezer. And it can't be the same person. It's it just like Anyan Kippur. We don't, we don't the, our, our lives are set up. We want to set up our lives that there's Midas Adin and consequences to face. And then there is another Midas Arachmim that's Misgaber on it. We need, Akadosh Baruch needs to be convinced, Kavayacho, that we are aware of both of them equally. To appeal to Akadosh Baruch's Rachamim, when we don't have a sense of Din the way it should be, it would be a flaw in us. If we think you can get away with stuff like that, the rules are not really, you know, it's kind of, you, know, you, you smile at the principal and he says, okay, and that's it. That's, that's not toiv. Toiv is when there's consequence and some midas want to override it. I believe women bring that midah much more than men. I, and I think, you know, and, and, and with all the nonsense about men and women being the same exact thing, just, you know, different color here, it's nonsense. There's two midas that Gajpah put in the Bria. A man's midah is more noted to this union of consequence and logic. A woman's midah is more like that. For srara, for leadership, for malchus, for din, that has to be. And that's why edus is also, edus needs, you have to be able to see the din exactly where it is. I'll tell you one other person's possible for edus. If Bezdin saw somebody kill somebody, they cannot pass on that din. Even though normally, a, a bezin that saw an event is the best paisik. But when they saw it, they no longer can be malamit schus. Because the killing is so horrible, and leaves such an emotional impression, then, then they will not be able to use that. Yes, he killed him, but halachically, it doesn't fit the pattern itself. You will be too tempted to override it.
So I think that that's, again, it's my own take. I, don't, I do think it fits, but it, it's not, we weren't given a clear reason, but I think that this is, is, is an understanding that fits the halachas and so on. Yes? The Rav and Rav Aaron would always represent the idea, number one, Ramban says everything in Masa Gracious is an ascending order of importance. Right. The Chava was made after Raga. Right. And they would use it based on halachic definition and difference between Kibush and Chazaka. That they would apparently say men have to do with Kibush uh-huh. and women have to do with Chazaka. Uh-huh. That's why Yudusha Rishona was Kitcha Lashalolah. Is that was Kibush? But when you settle the land and you walk the land, that's Chazaka and that's Kitshafi Lashal Lobo. But one of the major issues today in the religious community is trying to see the Amitasso Shotor and dealing with one of these issues. Right, it, it is. issue of marriage, everything else. It, it is, it is one of those issues, and people don't understand that, you know, if Akadosh made distinctions and differences, each one fulfills his role in that. Um, and yes, it is, it, I, I believe it's, it's, it's one of the strongest issues around. Four, should a Jew learn worldly wisdom, and what does that mean? What wisdom is there not from Hashem worth learning? So, A, if it's wisdom, it's from Hashem. But let, let's talk about this. And, and so there's two issues. First of all, Akadosh Baruch Hu's was Megala his Chachma in many ways. Torah is the strongest way. The world that he created is also um, the world that created. It manifests many elements of Hashem's Chachma. So a person who looks into science is seeing different Giluyim Hashem's Chachma. It's Mechazek a person's Emuna and Many Sfarim, especially Kabbalah Sfarim, find extraordinary parallels. In other words, d- d- let's, let's go through something. All of Kabbalah language is written in human terms, meaning the human body itself represents um, many aspects. The fact that the symmetry between right and left is a very strong, has a very strong Kabbalistic uh, meanings. The fact that you have the head, the torso, and the feet. The fact that, that you have five fingers on each hand. Every single element, every aspect of a human being has a lot to teach a person. So in general, Gilei Vakashbar's wisdom exists in what we'll call science. Anything that's a fact in the Bria. When you talk about philosophy or the world of ideas, so there are many, many points of Chachma that humans have uncovered on their own, and many, many points of nonsense, because they have nothing to base it on except observation and thought. So the big world, so, so in the world of what we'll call science, and it's big, in a big sense of it, um, mo- most, most, to the best of my understanding, were quite positive about it, how much it was obviously always a, 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 a balance between Torah, which is the core moral values, to this, which is more peripheral. Um, philosophy was something that was more contested between Rishonim, and certainly 
in the later generations. On the one hand, the Rambam says, Kabbalah Sa'emis, he didn't say it, so he's quoting, Kabbalah Sa'emis Misha Amro, take truth from wherever you find it. So people who came up with bright ideas, we incorporated because they, were, they came with an idea, now we can find it in Torah and see it. On the other hand, their ideas are very misleading. And the question is, do we have the ability to discern? When somebody comes from Torah, and he has the Mesosa Torah, and he's coming with that, we say, okay, this is the emis, it's come down. Somebody who's come up with ideas, which are very bright ideas, and some of it will, will hit home, will be the absolute truth, some of it will not. Now, how do we deal with it? There were real disagreements among Rishayim. The Rambam, the Rambam felt that Aristotle, and in those days, science and philosophy were inseparable. So the Rambam and others took that as a basis, but they weeded out whatever they felt was wrong, nonsense, etc. The Rambam took Aristotle, and, and l- let me give you a mushal. I, I want to give a mush about something that he uses, and, and he uses it in a very different way. Let's give a marshal to it. Psychology has introduced the idea of a subconscious. Rabbi Salanta uses it and deals with it. So in his mind, they touched on something real. Let's try to understand it from a Torah perspective, what that is, how that works, how should a person work with it, and so on. The Rambam in, his, in, 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 in Mishnah Torah, which was not written with a philosophical bent, speaks about Midas Deus, and he speaks about the golden mean. The golden mean is an Aristotelian um, concept. And people s- just literally say, yeah, he took it from Aristotle. Yes and no. He took the mechanics from Aristotle and gave it a very, very different meaning. Aristotle did not believe in a, in a, in a real m- moral superior force. His sense of good and bad was the type of sense that a psychologist would use today. It's the equilibrium that every being has within itself. If you, if you ca- up, upset the ship, capsize the ship, you're going to suffer consequences. If you keep it even keeled, then it's going to go well. So I, I, I don't know Greek, and, and I understand that the, the, the word virtue, I think it's numerous that, that, that Aristotle used, it doesn't mean the way it's translated in English as virtue. It means rather perfect, perfect existence type of thing. It's not, a, not measured in a value versus morality, but it's, it's measured internally, kind of. That's why I, I read, I have no, no way of uh, knowing. The Rambam stripped it of that. Rambam, I'm held a checker. The Rambam said the chiyuv of living a balanced life in Midos stems from Valach Bedrochov, Mahuaf Atta, it's emulating God, it's a Derech Yeshara, it's a whole different, and therefore, it's not, so if you go to a psychologist, and you tell them, I'm very, very happy with, I don't have enough money, so, and I, and I need more money, the psychologist will say, if this is genuine, if then okay, you should be making more money and spending more money. The, the, um, that's, that's, a psychologist can only look internally and will not pass any value judgment because technically he has no value judgment. The Rambam is going with a very different mahalach. And therefore there was a lot of resistance to introducing, studying the world of ideas wholesale by Eden. Um, and, and 
you know, history has proven there were great people who were geniuses on both, and many, many people fell through on the wayside. So, you know, the, 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 the pragmatic approach has been to keep it an arm's length away, and there were occasionally people who were giants, and they were able to incorporate the right, you know, they were able to be borer, the Ochel from the Psolus. The more gives an example, Red Meir studied by Acher, and they asked him, how could you study by Acher? He says, I have the ability to pick out the right from the wrong by Acher. So in the big picture, the world I come from had stronger reluctance to any of this. The world that many of you come from had more, was more accepting and felt also that it was important and, you know, available, there are different approaches. But to understand there's a big difference between the world of reality, which is a Kachbaros of Bria, definitely has what to teach us, and almost all the Rishayim had were familiar with the science of their days, versus the world of ideas, which includes philosophy and literature, and that was something which was felt there were truths there, and the question was how important versus how dangerous is it to try to mine those ideas for something, those, that world for, for positive ideas? Uh, yes? I just wanted to ask maybe uh, two questions that I feel might be very relevant for the uh, yeah. years to come. Um, the first question is about open orthodoxy. Yeah. And uh, how, how do we know what is open orthodox, what is not open orthodox? Where does it stand in terms of of um, the orthodoxy that we know, and particularly, I think everyone in this room is going to be ending up in different communities, and there's a very strong drive amongst the open orthodox spearhead group to place open orthodox people in different cities. And, and I think, I think if you could speak one or two minutes about about open orthodoxy and how how it differs. Okay, I, I think it's fair enough. Um, so uh, let's take a step before open orthodoxy. A person is looking around to certain community, to continue in the yeshiva, to join a group of people with a philosophical outlook. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? Good question. And the truth is we have a concept of Eilovel Dibrikim Chayim. So uh, that tells us that there are many roads. And then we have a passage, anybody who goes down that road will never come back again. So how do we balance, for us, picking something that is another valid approach to something that is, um, that is falling off the cliff? There are many roads to get somewhere, and Waze knows them all. And Waze also, in the earlier version at least, would sometimes take you to Dead End Street. And I remember one particular time when we, we got to a point and the way said to keep going and there's no way to go. How do we know? So I'd like to try to use a few guidelines which I feel would fit for, for anybody. First of all, there's a, there's to be a saying that an educated consumer is the best consumer. If you don't learn enough so that you know something about Yiddishkeit and Halacha and Torah you're always going to be stuck by picking the rabbi with the nicest smile. Because what else are you going to judge the rabbi by? He's good looking, he's not so good looking. It's about all you can do. It's terrible. It's like imagine somebody never studied medicine. And one, one doctor says you have to do chemo, the other doctor says cranberry juice will do it for you. 
He has no way of knowing. They both, they both like maybe the guy with the cranberry juice gives him more time and more sympathy. Yeah, I don't know, you know. So being an educated consumer, learning means that you could at least make an educated guess about is this an outlier? Is this something that's one of the many approaches used and so on? That's one. There's a second criteria that I feel would be very, very helpful. I'll give you a marshal. Imagine there's some sort of nursing home near here. Some nursing homes, some, some place, a gated community of people that are, have a hard time taking care of themselves. And three people are sitting around and discussing what they do for these people. So one of them says, well, every Thursday lunchtime, I go to these people, I put them in my car, in my bus, I take them down to, oh no, I, I, let's say I ask them, I go around Thursday, I ask them what they need for Shabbos, and I buy it for them. That's what I do. The second person says, that's not good, because then you make them helpless and dependent, and that, that you, you're crippling them. What I do is, I pick them up with my car, my bus, I take them down to the marketplace, I make sure that they're buying what they need to buy, I walk with them, and I take them back home. The third one says, I also agree to this principle that it's not good to make people dependent. So I sit home and watch a soccer game and I let them take care of themselves. Three approaches. Now, I am sure that if you think about these three approaches, the first two you're going to find are a valid disagreement. The third one, if you're a bit skeptical or cynical, you might think it has more to do with this guy not wanting to do anything than his new approach to elder. The reason is, because the third person, no sweat off his palm, he's, you know, he's doing nothing, he's taking the easy way out for himself. The other two, both are, both are expending the same amount of energy and time, but they're different approaches. If orthodoxy does not obligate you, if a person's message is, you tell me what your problem is, I have a way out, then you might as well tell him then what's the point of it? Two valid approaches are, so I meet a Chsidashid, and I tell the Chsidashid, you know, I wake up 6 o'clock to daven, so I can do this man. Why do you daven 9 o'clock? He says, well, I go to the mikveh. I wake up 6 and go to the mikveh, and then I'm Mavasedra, and then I daven. So it's a trade-off. I push myself to daven this man, he pushes himself to go to the mikveh, and this net. But a, thir a third person says, you know, I skip both the mikveh and the early daven. I just daven 9.30 straight out. I might be a little skeptical that it's not another shita, but it's a lack of a shita. If, 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 if somebody comes along and he says, we have a different focus, and therefore we have more of an obligation in X. So chassidim pushed a lot davening. Litvisha pushed a lot um, learning. Other people, yekis pushed a lot integrity, yashras, is timeliness. Another group pushes really difficult chesed projects, being up all night running around askanis. All of those have at least a havamina of being right because they require you to expend energy. They require you to, to, to do something that's not in your comfort zone. So, and most of the time, wherever you belong, wherever your personality takes it, that's where you'll snap in. But if somebody comes along and says, I have a very easy route, no pain, so when a doctor comes, one of the reasons you can tell a charlatan in medicine is one doctor says you need surgery. Surgery is difficult, it's got kind of dangerous. Another one says chemo. 
chemo's got its, its, its dangers, problems, its problems. Another one says face radiation. Those are all difficult, painful with ups and downs. A fourth guy comes along with the cranberry juice, no side effects, you become skeptical. It, 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 so any orthodoxy that comes along and has demands, one more thing, do, does, it, does the person ever say no? Absolutely utter, and there's nothing we can do about it. That is, so okay, so sometimes there, there are arrangements of where you put your focus and, and so on, but is this person ever stand on principle? One more area that I think is important to analyze. So the first thing is, is the orthodoxy the person proposing only about what you can get away with? Or, or, or does he have what you have to do and tough luck? Another area. If the person's world perspective dovetails perfectly with the New York Times or Washington Post or Fox News, it'll make a difference, and it's 100% um, aligned, then you scratch your head and say to yourself, that can't be. I once was asked, I spoke someplace about economics, Torah economics. The forum was people who had a conservative philosophy, not Jewish philosophy, but conservative in economics. And this person wanted, and I said, I'll be very open. I can show you points in Yiddishkeit that seem, that resonate well with conservative economics. And there are points that resonate well with socialist economics. You can't, don't take Torah and shoehorn it into somebody else's philosophy. Avram was called Ivri. The whole world was on one side or on another side. There will be issues that we believe in that resonate. And there'll be issues where I have a tough time. You know, if, if I'm sensitive to what New York Times says, I'm going to be very embarrassed. I do believe that there is Yisurim in the world. And certain things, you know, whatever your attitude will be about complicated issues, when the term says Usr, it's Usr and tough luck. If the person's all, sh if all the sheets could be printed in any modern liberal magazine, or conservative magazine, makes no difference, and it fits 100%, then what's the point of Torah? It's, if the person has shittas that are at a loggerhead with, with, a, uh, with a society that a person looks up to, then again, it's a, it's a chance, then, then it, it might be MS. So we spoke about three things. Become an educated consumer, sit and learn enough so that when you hear a shayla, you can, and you, somebody's mata, somebody's asa, you can sit down and get a sense, is this a genuine approach or is this a charlatan? Or somebody who's trying to sell things because what their people buy. Two, ask yourself, is there any expenditure of religious energy? Am I, am I pushing myself to do something or other that the other person is not? So it's a trade-off. So this one runs to the mikveh, this one runs to, to learn. But okay, both of them require getting up early and, and doing something out of your comfort zone. And finally, ask yourself if these shittas came before the New York Times or after the New York Times. Which one did it, you know, which came first? Is it subconsciously trying to be the perfect poster child. Yes, we too are like that, or the other way around. And those, I think, are three guidelines to help people make those decisions. Any follow-up questions? Yes. Could you introduce yourself? What's your name and where you're from? I like, I like knowing people, not questions. Simon Morgenstern from Scarsdale, New York. You're related to the the Kutzka's name was Morgenstern. Yeah, three you're, generations. Yeah. Not from Man, you got it, I'll tell you, 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 it's a great trip, but it is so demanding, Kotz, you really, no money whatsoever, it's, it's like a vow of poverty and, 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 being, and being a stickler for truth, you, you might consider converting some other type of city. <laughs> a, a lot of comfortable seats with a lot of kugel and stuff like that, you know, it's a, yes. Um, 
you have you have a situation though like uh, like Maharat, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they ordain women. Or right. I mean, they, that's they're pushing, I guess, religiously, technically. Right. So that that, that wouldn't fit. I don't I don't see that how that would fit with the second criteria, being for a woman's perspective. So so yes, if if, if you come along and say to yourself halachically, it's it, it pushing. If the pushing means that being matim more, it's more convenient. It's much easier to have that because then, then, then you you look more modern and, and 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 so on. It's coming from that that area. Now that the women need to be more integrated, that 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 is true. Um, you know, it used to be women didn't learn, and and you know before Besiakov, there are there, there's a need to take a sober look at what are the needs of our generation, what does work. And therefore, there are areas where, you know, 100 years ago, almost no women studied anything. And it, it created a curtain, you know, and, and, and the modern generation demanded. If a woman goes to university, she needs to be at least as educated in Yiddishkeit to be on par. But, but it, it, anything that's trying to push down to, to make halachically, like we said before, so the first one, a woman is excluded from a, a position of srara. There are areas, there are areas, if, it's a, if the person at least works with the understanding that there are things a woman is excluded from, and it's right. It, it, there's a hidden agenda that Be'emes, the Torah, doesn't know what it's talking about. We keep halacha because that's because we're orthodox, that's our brand, so we will do our best to get around it until basically we've just left over a, a, a little, a little zeichel l'chorben, but that's it. That's a hidden agenda. Th- that's what I feel reading and, and reading between the lines. So, so that's what you want to ask yourself. Does the person feel, there's a Rabbeinu Bechaya that says, <coughs> So he says, what does it mean? It's a shayla show what it refers to. It's very unclear. He says, a person who keeps halacha faithfully, but believes that it's, that it's not the best way of life. He doesn't affirm, he doesn't validate the Torah. He says, okay, we're stuck with it. It's like a law, an old law in the textbooks. Uh, you, you keep it because it hasn't been repealed, but you do your best to get out of it because you feel that this law doesn't belong. On so, so we need to go through motion. That's a Chorma Torah. So, so, so understanding things that the Torah said. The Torah said there is no thing as marriage except between a man and a woman. That's marriage. That's the only thing that will keep that. Should we reach out to people who are struggling? Of course. Should we? Should we? You know, do what we can. We're not the generation where we push people away and and so on. But understanding principles, the Torah did not give a woman the role of leadership. The Torah did not arrange for marriage. Men and men is not a marriage. So forget about the very part of it. All of those have to. And and the problem starts because you have people who really subscribe to a worldview that's. You know that's current, and 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 we try to push our Torah into it. We we get with a very very grotesque distortions of Torah. I want to tell you something. I, I again I'm 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 a little bit younger than Yerusha Shiva, but I lived through an age where the brightest and smartest people believed that communism is is the herald of a new era, and that Stalin was a tzaddik. And and the great he was you know ahead, and until I mean so these were the great minds came up with communism, and it and it was the biggest hurdle. It killed more people, mm-hmm. more innocent people than anything else, including the Nazis by a big factor. In the 60s, I remember 
very bright, the intellectual avant-garde of, of, of the world said, family? Nonsense. Do what you want to do. Um, everything is mutter as long as everybody likes it. Drugs, it enhances your experience. So drugs is mutter, arais is mutter, you'd be so much happier. It's a nonsense. And everybody subscribed to it. This was the, 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 the NYU and, and, and uh, Berkeley, and these were the great minds. And, and, and they, they were machriv, ador, maybe doros. The sense of obligation, family, tachlis, responsibility, none of that. So, you know, even pacifism, when it's, when it's come to an extreme, you know, there was the same idea that, that kept them from saving Jews. Why should we get involved in what? All of those ideas were government people, and people ran with it. You know, and therefore if you ask yourself, are, the, are, are these a result of a certain need to feel very respected and comfortable in the social circles they want to, or, or is this coming from a real, real drive for Emmis? Yes, anyway, any other, someone else had questions? Yes. Hesitating a bit, um, Rashida's Ravari. I just uh, okay. pick up the garbage in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to have an experience. The job Rashid is to pick up the garbage. That's it, I can tell you that. That's, that's the... <laughs> anyway, the issue which uh, is... Uh, Possibly together, women's issues one of the most difficult issues now. See on the yeah. Zion. I'm not saying the political <coughs> scene in Israel is anything to learn from. Somebody very, very sharp once said it's like a banana boat republic, and then someone said may make banana boat republic for good. <laughs> basically, um to a large degree. You want to take it anywhere you want? Uh, okay, I'll, 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 we'll talk about it. Uh, again, my, my, again I'm, I'm speaking from my personal mm -hmm. understandings and view. I believe Kalal Yisrael, um, until the day we have a Malchus and a Sanhedrin, goes forward by the tension of different sides pulling in different directions. Unfortunately, Machlokas becoming terrible is a terrible thing, and it, it's destructive. But in the big, big picture, let's give an example of, some, of something else for a minute. Hasidim and misnagdim. If somebody will look at it objectively, I believe, misnagdim had tremendous fidelity to the letter of the law, and it, it dried out a lot of ruach and the nisham of it. That's what happened. Whatever happened, whose fault was, whatever, that was the Metzius. Hasidim came in with a tremendous bread and infused a lot of nishama and warmth and so on and so forth. There were a lot of side effects of, of, of erasing the clear lines of halacha. Whether it's the davening in time, whether it's this, that, treating Tamir Chacham in a certain way. It, it had both both of them had um, fringes that were dangerous to Yiddishkeit. There was tension. Unfortunately, a lot of bad stuff went on. Both sides, Baruch Hashem, Elu Velu, everybody has their Balamach locus and everybody did. But in the big picture, when we look back at it, um, it's because of the tug of war, Hasidim shaped up um, halachically. A lot of the excesses 
were, were, were curtailed. And a lot of the Hasidic um, positive things, in, it didn't infuse it in Europe yet, but the Musa movement is a similar idea in some ways. And today, both feed off each other. Most, most Hasidic... Uh, um, y- 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 most Hasidish good yeshivas have Litvish or yeshivas today. Certainly in, in, in America, they learned, most older yeshivas, they learned the brisk and here and there. And most Litvish bachrim sing Hasidish go to a tish, have an experience, ha- ha- are affected by it. They're mutually been affected. The same thing has been true with many other things. Zionism had the same thing. It came as a movement that touched on Eretz Yisrael. Um, it touched on many other things. It had many of the early proponents of Zionism were extremely anti-religious, and there was a real, a really sharp machlokas that had to deal with it. One way was saying, "Listen, these are people that had moved back from assimilation and had decided the Jewish people need to remain a people, and that Israel needs to be the focus of it. Let's join forces, and we'll infuse it with good and with Yiddishkeit." The people opposed it said, these people are much stronger than you. They have a powerful anti-religious agenda. All the Yechidim that had become absorbed in it had discarded the Yiddishkeit. We need to oppose it. And that was a, a very, very sharp tug of war. Fast forward um, 70 years later, 100 years later, um, Eretz Yisrael has become the center for Yiddishkeit. Admittedly, the, the level, by, any, by anybody's chances, the level of Talmud Torah the level of, 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 of extraordinary Yiddish living, the whole transformation of your generation that has become so much stark in Yiddishkeit has to do with spending these years in Eretz Yisrael. It was not in America. Nobody from the schools you came from went to yeshiva after high school. It was unthinkable. Everybody comes to Eretz Yisrael, Baruch Hashem. Hopefully everybody. I know that the people that don't. And this year or two, gives people a tremendous boost in learning, in Kedusha, in everything. It, it's transformed in many ways. And um, people who are secular, it, until now, until recently, the last thing people held on to was the Holocaust and Eretz Yisrael. You can get people to go on a birthright trip that, that they'll come, and everybody will get something, and there will be a group of people that, that the Yiddish kind of will be intensified in a way that they become Shlomi Munisol, they become. The other side is, um, but it's come with a lot, a lot of battles and friction. Would it have been better if everybody would have joined together and then be Mashpia from Bifnim? Or that's nonsense and it's not? I don't know the answer. Nobody can know the answer because you can't question what if. So, as virulent as the battles have been, as tough as they've been, I do think that the strong opponents force the other people to say to themselves, every time they took a misstep, they were happy to post posters all over. So it had a corrective feature. On the other hand, um, Eretz Yisrael became built. I mean, it's incredible. From one, the 1970s, when I came to Eretz Yisrael, I was lucky to be here 25 years and still half my kids live here, and Be'ez Hashem someday will be lucky to be here. And Eretz Yisrael has become extraordinary physically an extraordinary place. Uh, you know, on the other hand, there are people that, that there was this fighter generation whose Yiddishkeit was stripped away from them. It rebounded a generation and a half later. And, and it's become very intense. So I think the historical perspective of Kaisel is that things that have, that have had strong 
proponents of two sides, and those proponents were emis, and 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 they were trying to do what's right. I think in the end, it's 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 uh, you know machlokesh l'shem shemayim is miskayim. Miskayim means it stands because of both. And I think honest people say that Baruch Hashem, what was Zochta Yisrael, has to do with the people that built that Yisrael and the people that stood firm about what Yishchei is. And even though it's hard for us to see how that could possibly live in one thing, knowing the sharpness of it and so on, at the end of the day, I still remember as a young boy, um, you remember Mr. Kennigsberg, Benjamin Kennigsberg? Ben Kennigsberg. He was a figure on the lawyer side to go up on. I knew him as an older person. He was one of the few, the handful of people who was a lawyer in those days. Those days, becoming a lawyer was very hard and was a very Erlachayit. He has a great grandson, he has many great grandchildren, but one of them, one person, Yeshiva, Tani Priero, who runs different programs, some of you might be know it, and he's a great grandson of his. And um, Priero was a son in law of his, his grandfather. And I remember he used to go to pick up a share that was extremely interesting. And as a young boy, I was curious about these things. And I remember sitting, I don't know what year, it must have been in, in the late 50s, early 60s. He was, he was a strong Zionist person, and he said that if all the front parties together, Mizrahi, Paul and Mizrahi are good, Paul are good, and the entire character would join together, they'd have 18 seats in the Knesset. And he spoke about it very passionately, very upset that it's become so splintered, is that? And it, when I heard it, it sounded very mm. reasonable. When I came to Israel in 1970, I said, oh my gosh, what was he thinking? Like, like you know, the idea of putting together, you know, all these people, in each party itself, you can't get anybody together. So, you know, I, so I'd like to think, whenever you have strong machlokas in, in Klai Yisrael, like Rabbi Yonus Naibeshitz and, and Rabbi Yaakov Emden, terrible machlokas. But somewhere along the line, that's unfortunate because we have no resolution at a high point of, of a Senate. We stagger along with it, but as long as both sides are emislato, somewhere along the line, in, in the, it's like a ship that zigzags. It's the zigzagging that finally got it to home port. That's what I'd like to believe. That's what I do believe. Yes. Wait, what, I, I know I, I don't know clock here, which is a very dangerous matter for a rub. <laughs> to, to be, but what time is it now? 11 o'clock. Okay, so maybe one more question, what, what, and maybe you want to pick what's the. You seem to know what bothers everybody. So you, what? Yeah. 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 So I would distinguish. <laughs> I, I I was stuck in a traffic jam like that. <laughs> so I'll tell you what bothered me. Looking at the faces of the people there. It reminded me of kids hanging out Motsi Shabbos with nothing to do. I saw Rabbi Blair. I want to tell you what I saw. This must have been 71. I was walking Meisharim. A poor Cheloni car had made a mistake, a wrong turn, and was driving through Meisharim. A huge amount of people stopped him. This guy walked out of his car pale. He thought he was going to be lynched. And Rabbi Blair walked out. And Rev. Amram Blau took him, to put an arm around him and said, come, you're my guest. And he took him to his house and ate there, whatever it is. I think the car stayed there for over Shabbos, but that was the attitude. And I saw Rev. Amram Blau, I saw what a real Kanoi was. And, it, oh, Kanoi is out of the bounds of, of um, Halacha. Kanoi pogrom is out of bounds. There are people where you say to yourself, you know, Maybe that's not the way I act, 
But this person is living with an emis, and his heart hurts to a point that 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 you know, I, I, his emis is emis for a person that has that type. When you look around, you see kids with teenage teenage looseness, um, wildness, isn't that? That's bad. I know Basin Shiva in the mirror. Anybody draining around Afghanis was out. Not, it was just, the Peshat is it's bringing out the worst. And that bothered me. When I saw Ramba come down and take the seed, I saw real Kanos. And, and that's why it's more about the person than the event. It, it's something that, if, if the person is Be'emes Betzar, let me finish maybe with a story about a real Kanoi. There was a Yidra Dave Sokolovsky. He was a brother-in-law, he was a, his father of Ram Tzvi was the last mirror of, who was killed in the war. Abdov Sokolovsky lived near the Mir Yeshiva. He never had children, unfortunately. He was a short little man, tremendous tzaddik. Always, if he needed something, he always gave. He was a poor man who lived in a, in a corner there with his wife, and he was always helpful. A big kanoi. He was like an Aturakarta Memda, and worked constantly trying to make a new company to, to, uh, that would not run on Shabbos, like Eged, real kanoi. At his Levaya, but he was, he was the kindest, gentlest person you ever saw, and it hurt him. You saw that when you heard about something happening on Shabbos, he looked at him. Here's a nice At his Levaya, his, his Gabai said over the following story. He said he had a big gemach. We lent out money for free, <coughs> and this and and um, and he calls in his this this gabe. It wasn't a real gabe. He wasn't, didn't have a bistva. This was the guy in the koyel who ran the koyel, whatever it is. And he said to him, "I lent money to somebody. He gave me his name and address and phone number. The time is way past due. I'm trying to contact him. I can't, and I, I'm worried that maybe I was taken for a ride. So he gives me the address. It was around Nana someplace." He went there, there was no such street, no such person, no such telephone, nothing. Nothing nothing existed. He came back and he asked Rabdo Sokolovsky, I don't understand something. Um, you're a seasoned Gemach person. A guy walks in, gives you a name and address, nothing, and, and you just lend it to him? Like, like, where's your experience? Like, where, where are you coming from? So Rabdo said, I remember the story, and I'll tell you what happened. This was in the Tkuf in the 70s when people came from Georgia, not America, but Gruzia, Russia. And the government put them to work as, as porters in, in, in Ben-Gurion Airport, Lod at the time, and they were big, strong fellows, and it meant you had to work on Shabbos. There was no, no Shabbos exemption. The seed comes to me on a Friday morning, and he says he's a Georgian Jew, he's working there on Shabbos, and someone offered him to buy a kiosk for 6,000 shekel, and, and if he buys it, then he won't work on Shabbos, he'll be closed on Shabbos. You know. So Abdov told this person, as soon as I heard the word Shabbos, I lost it. I said, I, I took every pen I had and said, take this, buy the kiosk now, and keep this Shabbos, and it's wonderful. He said, I lost all my senses when it came to Shabbos. That's a kanoi. If he can just lose his mind and give every penny, because a yid, one yid is not going to be Shabbos, so, so, so that's a madrega I don't have. But to watch kids wild, just that, that's a chorv. So, so Kanoz has a place when the person is Kuli Kodesh and he's incensed with Chol Shabbos in a way that I, because I'm more hard-hearted, I'm not. 
and and the person and the person and and the proof of it is that you can pull out six thousand shekels in your pocket, and you know and you know that people try to take it for a ride, but you're so obsessed with Shabbos that you just give it and tell them run and and, and buy your way out. That's a kanoi. And Kali Yisrael, Amram Bloy was an oy Yisrael. Never lifted a finger against the yid. He got hit plenty of times. He stood on the road, but but it was kuli kaidish. So that's there are other people that are not, and 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 that and then it becomes. I told somebody once. I had a, a, a relative who was learning a brisk, a young boy, and we, so he, that was a great, you know, it was great for having arguments at the table. He would come to eat a lot, you know, we'd argue, and he said, you know, the stuff with the Musa, with Chesed, eh, it's all full of it, this and that, you know, like in brisk, everything is a halacha, it's a din, it's that, that, So I told him, listen, Gershon, I said, there are two paths. There's a path of Chesed and Emes. They're both equally important and both equally close to Kaddish Baruch but there's one difference. If you do a chesed, and it's not 100% in Shemayim, and not a this at that, it's still a chesed. If you do emes, and it's not 100% in Shemayim, then it's rishis. So if, if you're brisker off, and you live with a line that's so sharp that, that this is you, but if there's another side to you, and you use be'ikr, that midah, against people, then it's worthless. If you, it, being nice and kind and good, even if it's a little bit lacking in Shem Shemayim, a little bit this or that, it's, it's also a chesed. Emes that's not is rishis. Be'ez Hashem, we reserve it to the day, it's, there's a beautiful passage, we'll finish with the passage. It says, when Moshe and Aaron met and hugged each other, kissed each other, the passage says, the Medrash tells so chesed ve'emes nifgashu. That, you know, there's, there's a time, there comes a time when Ches and Emes meet. Bez Hashem, we should be zeich at that time when Ches and Emes come together and hug each other. Amen. Rafael Willig. Thank you so, so, so much. Was, Your father's a David or a Mordechai? Okay. Thank you so much for coming. It's, it's, it's a very interesting